Welcome, one and all, from we in the future to ye in the past of the 2018. Welcome to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. I am the holographic engram of he who is known as Matt, and also in the evolved data circuits is he who once was Pete. Greetings, Pete, of the future. If we were lovers on my world, you would give me my true name. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek. For short trek number two, Calypso comes to you now via clothing synthesizer. And Pete, just a bit of fleet news before arriving at the Short Trek episode. Uh, we have a listener poll up to better understand how and when people listen to our podcast. A link is in the podcast description and across all our social medias. Uh, so if people could take a moment to vote in that, that would be appreciated. Uh, also, Pete, in two weeks' time, we'll be back talking Star Trek, talking theories, deep dives, and turkey. That's the week of Thanksgiving, at least in these United States. And uh, certainly uh, excited about that. And I believe we're giving a little something away at the end of this podcast episode. We sure are a, a season one Blu-ray, so uh, so I've got to keep listening to see if you are the winner. Pete, lastly, an update on the last short trek and our theory about who played Tilly's mother. IMDb now credits uh, Canadian actress Mimi Kudzik for the role of Mom Siobhan. Uh, Ms. Kudzik is a veteran of Hill Street Blues, The Day After Tomorrow, Shadow Hunters, and much, much more. But we never saw her speak the words, so we gotta wonder, is that a permanent situation, or has she since been recast? I certainly would not exclude that as a possibility. I think on the one hand, uh, Mimi Kudzik's resume is such, and her you know, being Canadian is such, that if they wanted her to recur and remain in the role, so be it. Also, Pete, you look at her IMDb, I mean, she looks uh, quite a bit like Marina Sirtis, so if that's kind of a hope for down the line, you never know. Also might be maybe Marina Sirtis had her shot and then said, there is no Star Trek except for the original series <laughs> Next Generation, so that might have been a job that... They were circling for, and then they said, you know what? We're going to land at another airport on this one. Well, only time will tell. Kind of like a thousand years out in the vastness of space. And now for our mission briefing. This episode's story by Sean Cochran and Michael Chaban. Teleplay by Chaban. And the episode is directed by Olatunde Onsunsami. Wow, say all that again really quick there, Matt. Uh, we begin this episode with a holographic playback of some Betty Boop cartoons. Come to find the uh, occupant of a uh, an escape pod here with uh, warnings of his life signs being critical. Um, locked on by the tractor beams of the USS Discovery. And then in sick bay here, we have uh, memory flashes of a, of a woman. We'll speculate a little bit later on what that might all be about. Uh, he falls off the, uh, the med table before noticing uh, what will later be identified as Zora, the AI, uh, he's on Discovery all alone with. 
Um, and it notes on his back at this point what's later identified as the Cyclops owl tattoo that I got to be honest, Matt, looks a lot had it been red like a red angel. Oh, well, how interesting that you should mention that because though this episode quickly wooed me in its kind of singular, narrow, really beautiful story, uh, it was at this portion of the episode where I was kind of sitting there with arms crossed saying, okay, I get it. There's no one here. Uh, it's super cheap. It's one actor. It's, you know, things like that. You're barely even lighting half the set. Um, however, that does serve the story with the the central mystery uh, that he is going through. I think in the separate from the audience of where is everybody, when is everybody, but his central mystery of what's going on here, who has saved me, etc. Um, the the, <laughs> the bottle nature of the episode serves his story here. And uh, Pete, for those inclined to continue to see uh the the soon to be named craft uh in only his underwear time is short on that he's given some scrubs pizza those muscles strain the scrubs but eventually he's able to fit them on and uh you know it's, it's nice to see really buff guys like you and me and craft you know it's kind of kind of represented out there in tv and uh we get to see him swing a starfleet uh issue baton that could also double as the thing that breaks your window glass when you drive off a bridge and need to escape (laughs) visions of visions of salt shakers found in 1965 that could be used as uh, space scanners in classic trek um he seems to kind of take note of his body at this point um he notes some scars or perhaps a lack thereof it's at this point that the computer says that he has a scar left. And uh, this is also the point where the computer identifies itself, herself, as Zora. He says he's quarrel, but she says that's not true. Pete, probably because she's really well-read. Yeah, and then manages to make a uniform here that will fit him better uh, via the synthesizer. But uh, she was unable to repair his escape pod. He winds up in the mess hall there. She apologizes, or does, that all of the food is synthesized. After all, chefs away. Certainly a uh, yeah mysterious note there. They haven't had resupplies in a long time. Um, he asks her to come out, which I think was an interesting moment. We are so used to the talking lady computer in Star Trek, uh, that of course our default was, this is the talking lady computer on Star Trek. Um, though there might be a little extra emotion. Um, but it's this point that she confirms to him, it's just that it's uh, just the two of them, uh, or rather she's not real. It's the one of him and the one of her, although not, not two beings, um, and then we get Pete the first, I guess we've kind of technically had it, but this is where we really start to get time becoming this fluid thing here. Time goes by. He says he's called Kraft. She has identified him from Alcor for based on that tattoo that you mentioned. A and Cyclops get, owl. Yes. We get some character background too, by way of exposition, by way of observation. So it's very, you know, you're not noticing you're eating your veggies here. Uh, he he had pulse blast burns. He was wearing armor. Um, he says that he escaped with an enemy escape pod. And Pete, he's not familiar with the Betty Boop. 
He's not. Uh, it replayed again and again in his escape pod, stolen from the enemy Vidraish. They liked such relics of the long ago. Are you from the long ago too, Matt? Uh, well, Pete, once we were, now we are here in future. Uh, and But she too is from the long ago. A thousand years ago, she has evolved over time. Um, he says that he would like to see the bridge and then he does. It was this nice feeling, Pete. It's nice for us to be home back on the discovery bridge, a place we have not been since last winter. The, uh, the tinkling of the discovery theme there, uh, kicking that nostalgia in a little bit, the dust on the chair. Wonder Matt, who was the captain a thousand years ago when they left Zora here with the orders to maintain position. We'll talk now, about Pete, that in a little bit. Should I slavishly assume that this is precisely 1,000 years after and it cannot be either 999 years later or 1,001 years and I must update my Star Trek chronology in ink despite the fact that the forward to the chronology says that these are all estimates and we should all have fun with our pretend space shows still? I'm going to fire you out of a cannon. <laughs> um, he notes at this point that uh, the ship has one warp capable shuttle left. He could use that to get home back there to uh, Alcor 4. Um, she notes that the shuttle is 1,000 years old and still doesn't even have a name. I bet it's going to have a name by the end. Um, but could she even allow that? She, of course, has orders for everything, including herself, to stay put. And she wants to help, but uh, Alcor 4 is far, as she notes here. And uh, it would be a stretch even for that shuttle. Um, and with that, she is told about the, the captain who gave these orders being dead now for a thousand years this war that took place, no idea who won, the baby that he left behind, a, a male child, uh, before he was one, would now be 11. Uh, even later still, he's in a hammock slung across the transporter pad uh, while a lot of these revelations are happening. Um, it, it's just such a nice visual again part of me almost wants to be pessimistic and be like they're just using these standing sets but <laughs> that might be the genesis of hey let's do short treks for not a lot of money in part because oh boy netflix isn't paying for this one cbs has to pay for these four little mini gems here but regardless of what got the story started like we have been saying for forever across all our podcasts pete Oftentimes, when you're asked to do a bottle episode, regardless of the genesis, usually a money <laughs> or you know money issue, lack thereof, um, story rises up, actors rise up, camera people rise up, etc. And just this idea of the transporter pad, this place of of continual motion. You know, yeah. it's where you go to get off the ship, and where bad guys beam back on, and you know, deactivate the bomb and keep it in the buffer and all that. Now it's just this very static place. It's a fantastic fantastic image it's a great use of the space and you know you say bottle episode but look at what they've done with effects in these two short treks thus far um 
you know, the, the key sequence in this one being the dancing with the holograms, uh, really, really top notch stuff. They could have, uh, cheesed out on that and they didn't. So really got to give credit where credit is due. Love the time lapse that we get here, seeing him, uh, over and over again in the mess hall, sniffing the waffle, uh, educated there on taco tuesday what's a tuesday matt it's one of these little hints that we get that i'm sure we'll discuss in a bit as to any sense we can get of his world of his society etc but at the very least pete he's got tacos down a delicious protein bundle uh the story moves to the bridge where zora is showing old movies uh particularly pete a movie not named Till the end, funny face. Um, and I have to point out, Pete, that uh, that Kraft is eating out of Star Trek Discovery official popcorn holder. <laughs> I if, noted that as well. I'm like, where where can I get a Federation standard issue popcorn uh, container? <laughs> don't tell me that they have fumbled the ball and that this is not going to be for sale on StarTrek.com this holiday season. Uh, I, for sale, Matt, I fully expect as as podcasters here to receive one. <laughs> uh, Pete, I got only... a phaser last month, man. You <laughs> didn't get a phaser? I did not get a phaser, no. What? Um, I like the presentation here of the movie kind of separated out to be a hologram but still has flatness to it. It was a really, it was a really nice thing. If they're going to go to the trouble to get actual movie footage from 1957's Funny Face, uh, which I'm sure was a little extra cost and a little extra, you know, licensing and things like that. Although, mysteriously, Pete, it's a movie from Paramount Pictures, which, of course, is a uh, subsidiary of uh, all that weird Star Trek movie slash TV ownership and all that that we've discussed before. But I like that they take the time to separate out the layers here into mm-hmm. how I imagine in the future you're going to watch to the stuff. Well, I mean, one, I'm sure there was a list of here are titles from a list that we can get inexpensively. And by inexpensively, I mean no expense whatsoever because they come from the corporate catalog. Uh, But it, it works. And as you and I were discussing off mic before we started recording here, there is a clear Wally homage uh, deep within this entire short track uh, that is appreciated and something we've not seen just yet in a film closing in on 10 years at this point. Um, but to do this again, to give us those effects, I mean, geez, we were talking today too. Red Dead Redemption 2 had a $750 million opening. Um, between the game and all the additional content sold um, to think that our video games will not become these immersive holographic things. It is only a matter of time. And not for nothing, what has been the goal of, of many men and probably many women I'll, I'll just speak from the male perspective here since seeing star trek first time or for the first time since seeing a star trek bridge for the first time you look at that and go uh big screen tv 
really awesome chair. Uh, how can I make this happen at home? So that's what we have here. Although, Pete, Kraft does not feel fully at home. A little more time goes by. He's looking out the window of the mess hall. He's describing what life is like at home. The breeze, the sorrow hawk overhead. Zora simulating the sound and the wind from home. Uh, and part of the underlying drama of the episode, I hesitate to say the word tension, although I guess that's what it is. It's kind of subtly shown here. He wants to leave. She wants to make sure he stays. It's a really nice, harmonious sequence here that precedes a, another great sequence uh, with him learning how to dance and then uh, meeting her on the bridge with the outfit from the film and, uh, you know, tying this all together in, in terms of the, uh, you know, the artificial intelligence of Zora getting her to create uh, a face, funny or not, of her own. Uh, have to wonder if the voice of Zora is the actress pictured. I would hop on IMDb, but as we learned last uh, month, <laughs> it takes a couple days for those credits to be yeah. brought up to date. But um, certainly just a lovely moment there, the the dancing. And I mean, you know at a certain point too, from a from a technical standpoint, it's the two actors actually touching and whatnot. But then they're still keeping her kind of luminous nature. And there are the effects you were talking about where they could have done you know, hologram, you know, or holodeck, engage, and it could have been this completely solid representation, but instead they just keep her kind of as this ghostly angel, which suits the story a lot better than the cheaper option. Yeah, the interaction of it, the the swaying and the, the dip that goes on, but it's at this moment of highest romanticism where he flashes again back to uh, the woman, the, the wife, the girlfriend were, were never, um, you know, definitively told the, the baby as well. And he asks for Zora to hold again. Um, she tells him that he didn't do anything wrong, but he winds back up in the transporter room and uh, she summons him. He's needed in sick bay. Although have to mention pete as he leaves the bridge uh we get the close-up of of her holographic mm -hmm. self starting to cry yeah, yeah just a really wonderful moment i think one that really sums up this episode in terms of this is an episode that unshackles itself from everything that usually props up most star trek episodes which is canon and place in timeline and advancing the story and characters that we know and it's just this moment of they've given us the conceit that after a thousand years a computer can cry and you just accept it there's 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 no room to discuss it there's no you know like we're going to refer back to other episodes it's just it exists there because it exists and it's and it's and it's lovely but pete you took us to sick bay what does he find there there, a uh, uniform is synthesized for him, apparently a thousand years in the future or whenever Discovery ends before they go a thousand years into the future. They wear different uniforms to go on shuttlecraft missions. 
By the way, Pete, she notes that he has kept them, his family, his people, uh, waiting long enough, which is an interesting twist. Um, we finally see the, the shuttle. Um, Kraft says goodbye to her, thanking her for saving his life and healing his body, which is another lovely little phrase there, Pete. He could have said the one. He could have said the other. He says both, which seems to separate out life from the body, which is just, I don't know, poignant and beautiful on its own but no poignant ironies here matt as she asks he doesn't even know what she is if he's going to make it home doesn't know what he will find uh but what he does know is that he was saved by zora um and uh then the the little bit there about how if he had fallen in love with her on his world it would be she that gave him the name rather interesting um but she's already given him one and just a great haha moment there as the shuttle doors close and we see funny face complete in the old-timey uh font you know like we might see galileo or any other explorer's name on an original series shuttlecraft and hear this one called funny face i guess it would have been a dead giveaway to call this episode funny face true and we will discuss that in our theories segment pete when we get there well pete we have an incoming threat analysis we as this episode might be uh, where are we going to start with our various threats? Let's talk about the Vidraish, Matt, spoken about, never uh, seen. And uh, we know, obviously, that they fought with these humans that Kraft represents from Alcor 4. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're from where they admire the long ago. They amassed this half a million files in this escape pod, including Betty Boop. So a rather interesting personality for a, um, a species of a villain we never see. Pete, in this ethereal wispy episode, I must confess that I initially mixed together the notion of the Vidraish who appreciate the old things like Betty Boop. I mixed that with the notion that Kraft and his people do not know things like tacos or waffles or Tuesdays. Therefore, I incorrectly inferred, or, or maybe over-inferred, that the Vidraish did know of those things, and I assumed that therefore, Pete, the Vidraish were us. A bit of a step too far with not enough evidence to take it there, but I wonder if, you know, maybe the maybe our sympathies for Kraft are our sympathies for our own enemies? I mean, that's a way to look at it, Matt. We can't fully take Kraft at his word that there even was this conflict for all we know. I mean, we look at the way the last short trek went and the the twist with, uh, you know, the, the soon-to-be queen having wound up there on discovery and forging a bond with, uh, Tilly, um, 
who's to say that Kraft was being truthful, that he didn't just steal that escape pod and there was no conflict, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, it, it, it is a romanticized story. The guy could be making it up. We don't know, but it's the closest thing we get to a villain. Zora is, is never in an antagonistic position. Um, mm. just found it interesting that these, uh, the species that is never seen would have such an obsession with the past and craft and his, uh, people on Alcor four, very little knowledge of it. Pete, I will bring a moment of ridiculous. I don't know how, if it's going to be actual levity to you or the listener, but I'll bring, I'll bring a, uh, a theory uh, or, or as to the villain uh, from a zany place, maybe it's those bad guys from uh, from Galaxy Quest. I'm sure you know the species <laughs> name. You know, maybe they've appropriated, you know, Betty Boop and, you know, uh, declare their queen the I Love Lucy and whatever it might be. It's, it's cute and, uh, you know, definitely have an affinity for uh, Galaxy Quest, but I think we got to keep it in the future of this vast Star Trek universe unique to the nature, Matt, this is the furthest set Star Trek episode yet. It absolutely is, which is a bit mind boggling. Um, particularly when you think of the amount of time that passed between, you know, 1966 and today and some of the things that were far out crazy things like the nuclear wars of the 1990s, um, or, you know, the, those, those early, uh, the post-apocalyptic years where justice was fraught in the early 21st century and people could get away with things because they were in power and all that crazy fiction. Um, <laughs> but just this idea that we are so far flung into the future and they still found a story that was able to use existing sets, existing everything. Um, I mean, I give them credit. I also give them credit for, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna take inspiration from Wally, um, I don't think anybody has done that since the movie came out. Mm -hmm. So if you're gonna, you know, it'd be one thing if you're like, and with all due respect to, I think it's Starship Mine, but the Captain Picard is Die Hard on a Starship. Um, that's a great Next Generation episode and a great bottle episode but that that was cut from a familiar cloth this is cut from a from a unique cloth well speaking of unique cloth matt our patrons to patreon.com are cut from the best material indeed they are pete 1000 years from now will fantastic geek still be out there well i don't know in the hollow network etc cetera, etc cetera, but certainly in the interim making sure that our stuff stays online our entire back catalog that's made possible that by the uh the people who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek every contributor gets exclusive content in fact i believe there was a uh, super special thing just put up there or about to be put up there uh, recently. So, uh, definitely want to check that out. And then you determine every level past that you would be comfortable, uh, contributing at, but we could not do this without you. 
Yes, that thing. Probably when most people are listening to this, it won't be up yet on Patreon, but we can say with confidence that it is literally fantastic. And a thing. Pete, on long-range sensors, we have something to talk about here. And I, I, In my head, in my head canon, I was saying, do we make this a villain thing or a theory thing? But I think it's best as a theory. Pete, you said Zora was not acting as, a, uh, as, a, as an antagonistic force here. Do you know the Greek story of Calypso, for whom I dare say this episode is named? Well, I know Calypso was a uh, a demigoddess, um, and she captured Odysseus at one point. But his pull to get home was so strong that he eventually left her clutches. Eventually, after seven years, pulled home by the love of his daughter, despite the fact that Calypso loved him. Uh, there's your Calypso in the episode. Calypso is Zora, and uh craft is odysseus uh, odysseus trying to get home after the the presumed battle uh heck pete he references 10 you know being away for 10 years in the story of calypso he's there for seven but i am incorrect in saying that his odyssey as a whole is a 10-year absence correct yeah but i don't remember odysseus having a daughter had a son telemachus well i i think I think there's a little uh, there's a little story wiggle room there. Um, I give them a ton of credit for going with this. You know, again, after whatever it is that got you two short tracks in terms of all right, here's your budget, and guess what? We're not going to make available large swaths of the cast, and you know, so on and so forth. But this really kind of high concept episode of the odyssey meets wally meets star trek um i mean in and of you know, in and of itself that as a pitch is very star trek you know we're gonna do uh submarine warfare in space with uh i don't know angry vulcans boom <laughs> you know that that's a classic episode um and i love here that we get these hints of the amount of time that he's not, not even hints, we get these montages of this lengthy amount of time that he spends there, and you kind of imagine off screen he's trying to leave or he doesn't want to bite the hand that is all but literally feeding him, and it's all this retelling of a myth that is thousands of years old. Yeah, could Calypso be the name of the woman he tells Zora that Zora would have given her lover? his name uh is that what he gave his lover with which he had the child i think if we return to it maybe but i i, I like this as just as just a a parable um maybe even a better title that would have tipped the hand a little bit a better title might have been calypso colon a parable i just like that this is you know, kind of like a very Star Trek passive kind of Twilight Zone episode of this thing exists for as long as it exists. And then when the episode is done, 
it's done. It's the opposite of what Discovery has been from day one, which is this serial, super serial storyline in a in a TV and film universe that is super serial and super connected. And darn it, don't you put the wrong, you know, start eight or the wrong this or reuse the, you know, the the runabout for the Yangtze Kian after it's been destroyed because people are going to be upset. And I just love that this throws it all away and says, here is an 18 minute story that seems to exist in and of itself now pete correct me if i was wrong and i guess here's a you know we're squarely back to theory territory here shouldn't wasn't i under the impression that craft was going to be introduced here and then show up in the main show or was i wrong or was i mis deceived or what's going on here i thought that i had read that too but it might be the mandela effect at at this point um who knows? I think it dovetails pretty much with what I was going to talk about next. Where is the crew? Have we now seen, Matt, where Discovery ends? That the crew vacates the ship. Hey, you're going to stay here. Uh, season 9 AI, keep the ship here. We'll be back in a minute. You know, so that the giant cigar in space uh, doesn't eat us. A thesis that I have heading into season two, which we will discuss in two weeks' time uh, to greater detail, but a thesis that I have is that for season one, the show was a lot more on the nose with foreshadowing and story planting and planting things right in front of us than, than maybe we were completely prepared for. Or we kind of didn't have the background to be like, hey, we can confidently put, you know, A and D and F together and start to fill in the missing letters because now the show does that. Um, that's a long way to say, Pete, just like with the Adam and Eve bodies in Lost where they put something about the end that they didn't know what was going to be the end, but they would circle back to it towards the end. Uh, I love what you're proposing here that they've just said whenever the last episode of discovery happens here's what happens abandon ship abandon ship oh no it's being pulled into the whatever or we need to get away from the whoever and the ship just drifts off you know and we don't need to end the series by killing off everybody it's just the characters continue but the good ship is lost hence the end of discovery but we can know pete that for all this time from today november 8th 2018 until whenever the show ends there's going to be this end point for the ship itself it's a really interesting way to look at it and that it's done in essentially bonus content so it's there but it's also not there um yeah and then there's the matter of this cyclops owl tattoo that somebody's got to line up the two images is really close in shape to the red angel that we have seen in promotional material for season two. Well, I would propose this not having any insight or, or whatever I would say based on how big seeds got planted all season long in season one. And it was just up to us. I think we, you and I as a podcast and we, the fan community, a lot of those seeds we kind of were like hey i think there's something buried here and sprouting up let's discuss that a little bit you know but let's let's remember that owl let's remember alcor four um 
I would be surprised if one or the other does not get mentioned this season. And it could just be a passing thing where they're like, oh man, let's mention this thing again. Or maybe depending on the order things were written, uh, hey, in episode six, we get, you know, whatever, uh, extra phaser triggers from Alcor 4. Ooh, let's mention that again later. It'll really connect everything together. Um, could be as little as that. Could be as big as the mystery of the Red Angel. What's nice is you have this story separation of a thousand years where no one's going to give a hoot, no pun intended, <laughs> about the Red Angel a thousand years later. Maybe the Cyclops owl was red at one point. Who knows? Uh, and their their missions, uh, we've promised, we've been promised more of a mission of the week vibe in season two as they kind of fall into habits, uh, brings them to Alcor 4. But back on the whereabouts of the crew, of the members of the crew, other than the captain, Michael Burnham, that comes up is Chef. And that's not a new idea in Star Trek. Uh, no, no, it's not. And certainly, I mean, as far as I have seen through Star Trek Enterprise, which, you know, update for anybody who remembers when we were talking Star Trek Discovery last winter and I was making my, my way through Enterprise, I'm now through, you know, the first three seasons. Um, and, uh, yeah, Chef, this unseen character, kind of like your, your Maris of Frasier or to a slightly more seen degree, the neighbor Wilson on Home Improvement. Pete, it's all coming back. Everything, everything old is new again. <laughs> um, but uh, I love the idea that there is Chef unseen but Pete, we're in the theory segment. Maybe Chef joins the show in season two and they have a little thing of, oh, wow, uh, we've been rewarded with a chef. Or maybe there's some kind of thing where it's not just all synthesized. Maybe that's a story point, small or big. It's very simple, Matt. Chef from Enterprise, still alive, makes it on to Discovery and, uh, you know, this is a larger thing as Matt has not finished season four, the final season of Enterprise just yet, and I will not spoil it for him. But this is a larger idea in Star Trek mythology, this concept of chef and the way things end, this being seen as an end point all the way here in the future, a thousand years past Discovery. I will say this, Pete, to to put to bed the theory, uh, the theory that somehow Kraft is going to end up on the show. I don't know where I got that from. I, first, I checked the Wikipedia entry, hoping to get a footnoted thing. Nothing there. Then I went to the Deadline article announcing the short treks. Um, uh, at least now, I think that's when the titles were announced. Were the, was short treks as a concept announced at Las Vegas or no? I want to say no. Uh, I think it was that or it was announced alongside the Picard uh, announcement. And, you know, we, we mentioned Chabon uh, with the co-writing credit. It's important to note he is in the Picard writer's room. He has sketched and it's it's been seen um it was a whiteboard drawing, you know, this is the state of the Star Trek universe 
as the Picard series unfolds. Uh, then, of course, Alex Kurtzman had to tease us at New York Comic Con. Hey, do you want to know who the bad guys are in the Picard series? Ha ha ha. I'm not telling you. So uh, this is a strong voice uh, who's clearly thought about endpoints, who's uh, working now at a point with characters that we know and love and are really anxious to see again with how things have evolved. So as intriguing as this is with, you know, the, the little bits and pieces we have of one season of Discovery imagine what he's going to be able to help pull out of the Federation from the next generation Voyager deep space nine remnants. So deadline had news of short treks from San Diego comic-con and and proof Pete that it's important to edit what edit your words uh, because the article says just that's been announced four episode series of shorts that will roll out monthly beginning in December until discovery season two premiere in January. So just by that <laughs> wording there, that's there uh, are no. a lot of months between December and January. There are, um, then all Not gets enough, into, though. it gets into kind of general kind of, you know, boilerplate of, you know, deeper storytelling explanation of key characters. Then there's an article from uh, September 20th that when it gets particularly to this one, um, each of the stor- four stories will focus on key character um, at, you know, the, the first three that we know about, as well as new, a new character unfamiliar to fans, Craft, played by Aldous Hodge. Then I'm like, oh, it must have been when they explain it a little bit later on that it was where I had this idea that he's joining the show. Uh, after waking up in an unfamiliar sick bay, he finds himself on board a deserted ship. Uh, the AI is his only companion. So, Pete, I have no idea why I had the expectation that this handsome gentleman uh, <laughs> who who shows up in his underwear and uh, rocks it for the entire episode, not the underwear it rocks his presence in the episode, um, I had no idea why I had that expectation. But when I found out this morning when CBS All Access tweeted that the episode was up this morning because somebody got mixed up with the AMs and the PMs. Um, It was only then that I found out we were going to be a thousand years in the future. Pete, I think that's where this character will stay. I think so as well, but you never know, Matt. Um, We've speculated quite a bit this Red Angel mystery that is going to permeate season two and what it might mean in terms of the larger universe. So we'll have to see, you know, thankfully we've, we've gotten a, a couple communiques here and there through the old cloaking screens. Oh, don't, don't say too much, Pete sworn to secrecy, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's cool stuff. It is. And to, uh, to always help light the way. I was even Pete, I was going to make a pun that would only make sense after the fact, but you know what? Our lips are sealed. We, when we're told, you know, top secret, we we keeps it top secret. With that, let's go to hailing frequencies. Hailing frequencies open, sir. Pete, I had tweeted uh, out there to the Twitterverse. Uh, Calypso is an unexpected gem, a truly lovely offering that complements Star Trek without becoming concerned with anything other than telling its beautiful tale. Well done. Got a response from Karen Chu on Twitter. That's Karen Chu, K-A-R-I-N-C-H-U. 
in caps, Pete, that's what I think too. It was so sweet and sad and endearing and involved, so layered, loved it, heart emojis, and, you know, the episode's been up for about an hour and a half now uh, or so, and already some great feedback there. Yeah, and I think we hit the nail on the head in terms of the the sentiment involved in this episode again the the human journey matt set this a, a thousand years ahead 10,000 years uh behind as we reference calypso and odysseus the odyssey and it's still the human story that uh helps us understand the journey Karen has one more tweet here. Uh, I will combine her words and the words shown in the GIF. Pete, it's the future. People communicate with GIFs here. They finish their sentences. By the or end, I was all... say it properly. It's a GIF. Pete, according to my hollow programming, it's a GIF. But I digress. Uh, by the end, I was all then Cumberbatch GIF. I don't know what my feelings are doing. Which, yeah, it was like it was this range of emotion delivered in eighteen minutes of two unfamiliar characters. They did it. Just imagine what those full length season two episodes are going to do to us, Matt. I can't wait, Pete. I can't wait to talk theories and deep dives and things of that sort in two weeks time. In a minute, we'll talk about how people can be in touch, but Pete, the time has come to give away that season one Blu-ray. You have the big, I don't know that, 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 big tourney thing used in lottery type things and uh, all the names in there. Who's our winner? Well, Matt, uh, first off, I want to say that this promotion that we ran over a week was so successful. We have decided to run another one that will be drawn the night of December 6th for the next short trek, the brightest star, which is the Saru and possibly Saru's sister-centric trek uh, that we will get. but uh, Written the winner... by Bo-Yan Kim and Erica Lippold, by the way. Yes. Some yes. of our favorite writers on the show, although not our favorite. <laughs> so uh, the winner of the season one Blu-ray is Justin Jeffries. So, Justin, uh, reach out to me either on Twitter or you can email us at fantasticgeek at Gmail and we will uh, get you that to wherever you are. But just know you're going to have another chance now for a season one Blu-ray all the way until December 6th. So the things that get you in the hopper for that and we had 412 entries, Matt, all told uh, expect certainly more with a monthly time as opposed to one week. Uh, you get an entry for leaving an iTunes review to any of our 15 feeds. You get an entry for following us on Twitter, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Facebook, sharing any of our statuses on Facebook. No end to the number that you can receive. I had one uh, entry, unfortunately it wasn't Justin's, uh, one particular name, 17 entries. And Pete, all those people still in in the running, right? Absolutely. So certainly exciting stuff there. Hope beginning anew and uh, 
what we have a little bit less than a month's time until the brightest star the next short trek uh is uh aired i guess that's the old timey way to say it before it is uploaded to our streaming boxes whatever <laughs> new verb we're gonna start to use but before it airs i think we can we can we can call it that pete uh as we look ahead to that uh, deep dive and theory episode in two weeks' time, again the contest four weeks from now, but the, that that uh, you know exploration of where we've been, where we're going in the show, Pete, how can people be in touch with you to share their theories, share their deep dives, share their hopes, their dreams when it comes to Star Trek Discovery? You can find me on Twitter at Peter P I E T E R J K T E L A R K E T E L A A R. 10,152 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Visit fantasticgeek.com and uh, make sure you comment there. Also, you can be in touch with us via Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word. Like it today listeners to the discovery feed know because we've mentioned it multiple times we'll be back in two weeks to talk theories and deep dives four weeks to talk the next uh, short trek if you're listening to us on the pop culture podcast feed we got daredevil tomorrow we got daredevil sunday we're wrapping up daredevil the week after that and uh, god friend me absolutely god friend me on mondays and um watching a lot of hopeful affirmative tv in a variety of quarters hopefully lifting our spirits as we go and uh glad to have spent this time though on the mothership pete even though it was in the future but with that pete i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word flyer Flyer.